0: Betches Media presents.
1: If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club.
2: Gaspacho Police. Oh my God! What a
1: stupid bitch.
2: He believes that it's a
3: woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The
0: Betches Sup Podcast.
3: Diane Aura Sucker! Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up podcast where C-SPAN meets group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics today. 2022 is yet another 420 when the federal government has failed to legalize recreational cannabis.
4: Mm-hmm. Or expunge the records of people who were convicted for using it, which Joe Biden does still have on his campaign website as something he <laughs> pledged <laughs> <Interesting>. to do.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> what a scoop that is scoop I mean the scoop is that I saw that on Twitter so yeah <laughs> <I figured. laughs> so scoop goes to Twitter <laughs>
3: uh, uh, yeah I mean I feel like it's one of those things where like Chuck Schumer keeps tweeting at Joe Biden to do things that like kind of Chuck Schumer should be doing yes. or also can't it's like Chuck and Joe y'all have the same barriers but like every other day Chuck Schumer's like it's time to legalize weed it's time to cancel student debt Joe and yeah. it's like Talk well, the House, House didn't it. the House passed it, the House passed it, pa- the past the more Act.
4: Yes. So it's really just in I I wrote about this in the newsletter, but like it's really just chilling in the Senate. And they said, like, they'll take it up maybe at the end of the summer. But it's like, yeah, Chuck, the ball's in your court. You could just try to pass this law, right? Try to pass a law. Of any kind really <laughs> just
5: give it a go yeah, get chuck, caught trying chuck Schumer loves like talking about how other people should be doing his job hey joe you know but to be fair joe biden did run on basically doing chuck schumer's job mm-hmm. where he was like i'm gonna get things through the set i'm gonna make things possible and then he like he just doesn't show up to stuff i read this whole thing about how like the biden administration basically just punted on voting rights And they kept like just handing it off to a bunch of different senators who were trying really hard. They were doing everything they could to get Manchin on board. You know, they really thought they were going to get close. And then every time he was just Lucy with the fucking football. And it was like, and then they were like, where are you, Joe? And he was like, yeah, I'll come in. We believe in stuff. But you know, if you vote for Build Back Better, we'll just skip this voting rights thing. And I was like, so yeah, he's, he's been doing it. I don't know. Chuck, joe
3: sit down hash things out do your job maybe oh hash them out beautifully done i mean you did inspire me because as you say on the podcast when we list you know three or more terrible people nightmare blunt rotation i made a tiktok (laughs) of my nightmare blunt rotation i i am curious who yours would be and why i can go first with mine i obviously chose margie margie was like my number one she's got nothing to do there is nothing stopping her from bogarding the blunt. She's on no committees. She only has one Twitter account. I don't want to be mm-hmm. near her. Plus, she's going to get paranoid and call the Caspacho police. Yes,
4: <laughs> absolutely.
3: <laughs> oh, who's Nightmare.
4: Um, m- immediate thought, Elon Musk. Oh, um, um, no. Yes. <laughs> I just don't think that's going to be fun. I've seen the pictures of him smoking before. Uh, so I guess my three, if we're doing like a full blunt rotation, is Go just Elon it. Musk and two like really h- huge Elon Musk stands, like Elon <laughs> Musk and two of his boys. <laughs> I don't know how I ended up in this situation, but I'm not happy about it. And not, I'm trying I'm to not. leave. happy. My chest feels <laughs> tight.
5: <laughs> I, I would I would have one, except that I do not smoke. I'm mm-hmm. I'm edibles all the way down. So. Who would I not want to be stoned around? But that's
3: kind of the interpretation I, I used as well. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I would, I would say, my gosh, uh,
3: DeSantis.
5: He <laughs> yeah. would just be so, I, 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 it would just be miserable. I, I think agree. As an experience. Especially
3: because like, I repeat this every chance I get. He's 43 and he has the politics of a one hundred year old man, forty three years old, definitely yeah. a narc. I mean,
5: why? Why does the 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 side with so much hate age like milk? We have to have. We need to have a discussion. Is it because they yeah. don't use moisturizer? Like, what's might going be.
4: on here?
3: Mm-hmm. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs>
4: sunscreen use might be off. Oh yeah, he's in Florida. And really, probably yeah. has like a
3: philosophical aversion to sunscreen. Maybe
4: <laughs> I would see. I would say that. I mean, he's certainly not buying reef safe sunscreen he's getting
3: sunscreen at all. no he Ron DeSantis if he fails to get elected again he will start a small business making like sunscreen that is just aggressively bad for the, for the yeah. ocean yeah and launch it <laughs> during Earth months into the ocean directly yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Well, we have at the end of this episode an interview with Stephen Post. He works at Last Prisoner Project, and they're just a great group working to free the 40,000 people still incarcerated for something related to cannabis. And he talks about like all the different scenarios. I mean, for a lot of people, it's like they lived in states where once you got another strike, it ended up that because you had like a $20 joint with you, you are living in prison for the rest of your life. And you were the provider for your family. And there's just so many so many different types of of stories that not to like moralize about what is good use and bad use but there's just a lot that you that people haven't heard about the experiences of people in prison and why they are there we set a goal to raise ten thousand dollars and we're definitely going to hit it we're probably going to like exceed it we just put it up uh, a couple of hours ago so stick around stick around for that also follow up from yesterday's show because i'm sure our listeners on the edge of their seats the doormen did get a contract new york city is functioning because the doorman workers did get a contract they agreed not to take away their health care benefits or vacation leave but they didn't really give them much of a raise with inflation but people are not being asked to take out their trash which i posted on this on my personal and one person like very finally replied like oh wow new yorkers would have to take out the trash what what a tragedy
4: Well, it is a lot of trash. It's a system. It is a system. (laughs) There's a system in place and it's not for us to
3: take it out. (laughs) There's this really cool like documentary series. I don't it seems like it's a partnership between Cheddar News and the city of New York where they're just like taking you through how it all works. And it's crazy. It's fascinating. Just it's the way that we all get water anywhere blows my mind. It sounds like I've already partaken today. (laughs) Have you heard about water?
4: (laughs) Do you know where a freaking water comes from?
3: (laughs) Check out this YouTube video. Yeah, I saw it on YouTube.
4: I watched a YouTube video about water, dude.
2: A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. All right, we have a couple topics today. First, we're going to start
3: with student loans. After pausing payments on federal student loans once again... The Biden administration has announced a plan to retroactively help millions of federal student loan borrowers who the government has historically failed to deliver properly on with its income driven repayment plans. What what does that mean? So the department estimates that the changes are going to result in immediate debt cancellation for 40,000 borrowers who will now qualify for public service loan forgiveness. It's making a lot of changes to this process. I read through them all. NPR outlined them all. And they all just sounded like mathy and maybe not worth listing out. But if you are potentially impacted by this, I would definitely definitely look into it. But by the end of March, more than seven hundred thousand of the forty three million federal student loan borrowers had to see their outstanding debt discharge under President Joe Biden's plan. So that told them more than seventeen billion dollars in relief. Of course, canceling them seems like what they're what they're moving towards it seems like they're finding a way to cancel as much debt as possible. And I would just remind them that canceling it is an option,
4: yeah. I mean, yes, I'm I don't want to like shake a stick at 40,000 people like. Yeah, $17 billion is crazy. That's it's a lot. But part of me is kind of always like, is he saving it for right before the midterm? I know. Yeah. (laughs) Is that what we're looking at? I don't know. It, it would be
5: very sloppy to do so because I mean, you—it's not going to be like a flip that switches for a lot of people. Yeah, it's you know, like waiting longer. Like you want to for for an accomplishment to like hit the the political bloodstream, you have to like hype it. You need to have people talking about it. You need to have people, you know, demonstrating how their lives have changed because of it. If you wait till October, like yeah. sure, you can get like a little bit of a boost, but people have already kind of made their decision as to whether or not they're motivated enough to vote, all sorts of other stuff. Because, I, I don't know if this is possible, but, like, as it turns out, most people don't give a fuck. I, I was very surprised by this. Like, they don't pay <laughs> attention to politics. Yeah. Turns out. And they're they they going to be waiting. If you wait till the last minute, they're just going
3: to be like, oh cool so i'll feel this in 6 months it's like mm. but, but would that actually apply in student loan debt forgiveness cuz wouldn't it just be like oh great i can keep on not paying or like what particular what in particular would take time to kind of like shake out to develop the messaging to record ads with people saying how much this is going to change their life i mean it's it's huge first of
5: all i mean student loan debt is <laughs> it's securitized it's underneath a giant market oh right there's a lot of, of it yeah uh, yeah no our financial system um apparently loves it's addicted to debt and uh securitizing debt joe's not just gonna venmo <laughs> the department of education yeah if, in order to make sure this is done properly and uh you know doesn't collapse like a portion of the market which it shouldn't exist anyway but it does so you kind of have to be sure it's like you're talking about over a trillion dollars that's that's a lot of, of financial impact which is good it's good but they should talk about it i mean there's so many people arguing on twitter like no one cares about you know student loans like you guys are you're, you're a small fraction of you know americans and it's like well this is nothing to do with that it's about how are we we keep asking people to mortgage their future like literally mortgage size loans for their future so if you have more already have a mortgage on like your brain you you can't buy one for a house you can't get one for like other things you'd like to do you can't live a life you can't participate in society if everything you you do has to be paying off the mortgage to get educated like that's what stresses people out, and makes it impossible for people to go to college because they're sitting there thinking, "Well, there's no point." And then everything requires a bachelor's now for like being a receptionist, which doesn't make any sense. The, the skill set there has nothing to do with a bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. and taking on thousands of dollars in debt so you can answer phones all day is a, a waste of everybody's time. So, you know, you can just talk about it that way and then, you know, ease the markets in for this this one. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Yeah. If we do it, I just hope we also revisit. It's just like other countries treat education like a more public good. And it's just like it seems like a racket. Like, let's also address why these schools are asking us for 50 grand a year. That's wild. We got it. They can't be doing this anymore.
4: Yeah. And it's also like, again, Biden can cancel the loans that the government has something to do with. But there's still the massive issue of privately held student loans, which are like really crushing and uh, really harmful to a lot of people. Mm -hmm.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the big changes that they could make, and this would be huge, would be allowing student loan debt to be discharged in bankruptcy without penalty. If you could, It's the only one that can't, right? And that is that is the big rule change that would ultimately because that's what maintains the entire market. The fact that you you are responsible for loans as a teenager, before your brain has developed, yeah. that, that you can't cancel, you can't leave. There's no way to avoid them. You have to make payments. Doesn't matter if you have bankruptcy. Doesn't matter if you die. There are people who get like student loan bills for their 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 children who have passed away. Good God, this is it's 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 not logical you got to create like a space for people to discharge their debt if it's acquired you know at least 5 years ago or something like that mm-hmm. in bankruptcy and give them a, a no penalty on on their credit reports yeah it seems crazy yeah? that we
3: won't let you know loans that people agreed to when they were teenagers but like people that like whole businessmen can be like, eh, it didn't work out.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So can you take care of this? I mean, isn't Purdue Pharma literally declaring bankruptcy now so they don't have to pay people in the opioid epidemic? Like, come on now. Yeah. yeah, You can do whatever
5: you want in corporate bankruptcy. There's so many ways to get out of things. You don't even have to fully dissolve your company. You can literally declare bankruptcy just to discharge all of your debts, yeah. handle mm-hmm. all of that, and then stay incorporated and <laughs> rebuild the business. And you're like,
3: yeah so I know yeah. what I was reading the like bankruptcy filing or article about it for Brother Jimmy's um in New York City and the owner partially blamed um like the failing performance of the New York Knicks because people weren't <laughs> going to Madison Square Garden and frequenting and frequenting the Brother Jimmy's there <laughs> It
4: is very Ugh. New York to just blame
3: the Knicks. It was, it was gorgeous, <laughs> and I said it out loud to, to my, my fiance, who's a lawyer, like, "Isn't this silly?" And he was like, "I mean, he's explaining the factors that made him not be able to make." But I was like, "All right, I got to get into business, I guess." If you can just blame the Knicks for your failing to uh, be profitable. All right. So let's start with a another yet another horrifying tranche of text to Mark Meadows. I mean, who knew (laughs) Mark Meadows text inbox has to be the most treasonous place since I'm sure Caitlin would know some civil some civil war reference. But there's so much treason in there.
4: I hope that he has like silent delivery on his phone at least, so that he can get a break from
3: some of this stuff.
4: Because it seems like he, the man, is, receives non-stop
3: harassment. <laughs> like, I imagine like like the Safdie brothers do, like an cut gems, but for Mark Meadows, just getting texted constantly, text it's just after chaos, text chaos. after text
4: of people incriminating him
3: and themselves. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I would love it. Crazy. Uh, so. Over the weekend, CNN released texts from Senator Mike Lee of Utah and Representative Chip Roy of Texas between the 2020 election and January 6th. This is the normal timeline we're talking about when I don't think anybody really cared to text Mark Meadows before that. They originally urged, so this is like their evolution on like trying to overturn the election they probably want you to think it is not that insidious but now with these texts i mean they were they were getting up to some nonsense they originally urged meadows to overturn the election result seeming to stop offering their support just short of like the insurrection itself mike lee for example this is a senator senator mike lee urged meadows to exhaust every legal and constitutional remedy at your disposal to change the election result he kept asking for help getting Sidney powell in front of the president Then suddenly Lee changes his tune when after texting the White House to find examples of fraud, setting the White House up with Sidney Powell to manufacture fraud. Sidney Powell holds that insane press conference with with fake news. And then I guess Mike Lee is like, this is this is too much. So but then he didn't abandon his efforts. He just shifted his faith towards none other than John Eastman, who came up with the plan to disrupt the Electoral College certification, which a federal judge said a couple of weeks or maybe a month ago was probably a federal crime or just a crime. (laughs) Probably Probably a crime. (laughs) Lee was in favor, this is what is crazy to me, the way this man justifies this to himself or seems to. Lee was in favor of states proposing an alternative slate of electors approved by their state legislatures. He kept, he himself was calling the states trying to make this happen. He kept saying in these texts, we need to find a quote, legitimate alternative slate of electors, which is the. Double oxymoron. I mean, if Biden won the state, there was not going to be a legitimate slate, alternative slate of electors. As I was doing this outline, I just hate that the term alternative slate of electors is now a phrase in the American consciousness, because like that's never that should never have been a thing we even thought about. All right. He backed off this when no states proposed alternative electors.
4: (laughs) He was calling them all embarrassing. day. Night. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. Sorry. Sorry. Mike. read the room <laughs> wrong. Yeah.
3: I guess the voters want their. I guess we're just going to honor the real of the voters. Eventually, Lee was texting Meadows that he was like, "Shit, this isn't going to go well. Like, no senator can object to the election result if the White House couldn't pr- provide any legitimate examples of voter fraud." Um. Just a quick aside here. North Carolina state authorities are currently investigating Mark Meadows for voter fraud <laughs> or for something fraud. He is he. They're investigating for him for where he registered. They're looking, he was registered in like North Carolina, but might've voted, but voted most recently in Virginia. What's sketchy is that Mark Meadows, former congressman from North Carolina, he claimed he registered at a mobile home an address there. But the New York Times discovered he doesn't have a mobile home. And like people have been there and like Mark Meadows is like a fancy guy. He he just people are like he doesn't he does not live there. So mm-hmm. now North Carolina is trying to figure out why Mark Meadows was appearing to attempt to vote. I couldn't I don't think he voted there. We'll we'll learn more, but they're they're looking they're looking into it. So the insidious thing about what Mike Lee is doing now and Chip Roy is sort of like step for step with him along this whole thing. So I'm just going to talk about Lee. Mike Lee has claimed that he only learned about the plan to disrupt the certification days before the election. That's that's a lie. That's about when he started being like, oh, I don't think this is going to like actually work out day of. But he pursued this. Lee and Roy both voted to certify the electoral results in favor of Biden. I remember, like I just said, he was like, nobody's going to do this. We know now that more than 100 of their GOP colleagues in both the House and the Senate did not vote for that. And after the violence, Chip Roy, I just thought this was funny, texted Mark Meadows to fix this now. (laughs)
4: It's very yeah, it's, funny. Also, like in the middle of the riots, detect like Mark Meadows can't do anything <laughs> about the mob that attacked the Capitol. <laughs> like he can't even get Trump t- to do stuff. Like sir, what are you mean?
5: I, I ordered a, a, a <laughs> an insurrection, and bizarrely, it it got here. Like, <laughs> yes. it's it's actually way too hot. I got it here <laughs> way too fast. I I, I, was, I ordered a different type back? of coup.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this I mean, I think that Mike Lee and Chip Roy would probably love for people to think that they backed off right before things became dangerous and things became Mm -hmm. sedition. But I think it seems if you read through everything that they did and the role that they played, things escalated because of the ideas that they were promoting.
5: I mean, yeah, yes, yes. I mean, if you keep telling people, first of all, even the idea that they came from this place of like we, the election needs to be overturned. Like the, the, from the moment you hear that uh, announcement, Joe Biden has won the presidency of the United States by the electoral college. And you say, well, let's figure out how to not have that be true. Like And like Mm -hmm. use actual like processes like, hey, uh, can we fuck with the electoral college which is already shitty. Let's, let's fuck with it some more. Let's figure out how to, how to undermine even more the one person one vote philosophy that doesn't exist at the presidential level but every other level of our government let's just let's continue doing that it, it, it was sedition from the beginning it feels very much like what was i gonna say it, feel, it feels like the articles of uh uh of secession here that like some of the states were like they all got together like okay but we need to tell them why we're leaving you know that's mm-hmm. very you know the, they got together at these conferences and they were like fuck this Lincoln dude we're just going to mm-hmm. leave the country <laughs> we there's an election we didn't like so that yeah. means we get to go now and very similarly trying to overthrow an election it's also it's very it's y very you know it's very it's mm-hmm. very
3: treason you know i'm getting coup. the rnc pulling out of the presidential debates it's giving that's giving secession to me too <laughs>
5: I mean, the the good news is they no longer have a platform to spew lies and propaganda. On the other hand, it's a problem because, like, um, yeah, it, it seems to undermine freedom, free society. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to be accountable to you or my opponent or anybody, really, mm-hmm. for the things I say.
4: Yeah, and it's also, like, the last guy that you put up made the event so toxic and unwatchable that they had to be cancelled like that was you guys (laughs) we couldn't even continue doing them last time because your guy was unrestrainable (laughs) he could could not agree to any terms he almost purposefully gave people COVID (laughs) like That was y'all. And then they're like, the committee on debates is not doing a good job. I'm like.
3: (laughs) There are just completely alternate realities here, which I'm sure we will continue to cover. And next week, we'll talk. I want to talk a little bit. Next week, we're six months out from midterms. So then I want to dive into. Some polling we're seeing, the actual races, like what's going on, where we should dig our teeth into. Normal people don't really get into this until September, but we're not normal people, so yeah. we're going to dig into it next not week. Not here. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Stick around for Eyes Interview with Stephen Post of Last Prisoner Project.
2: of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homeshef.com/feverdream. That's homeshef.com/feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. homeshef.com/feverdream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
0: When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet.
3: Now we're joined by Stephen Post. He is a campaign strategist with Last Prisoner Project, which works to free nonviolent cannabis offenders and help remove additional barriers to success, while also working to influence drug reform policy and legislation. Thank you so much for joining us on this occasion. It is, of course, 420.
6: (laughs) Yes, of course. Thank you for having me.
3: So we wanna sort of like jump right in here. There have always been two worlds when it comes to cannabis consumption, and it seems like those worlds are kind of getting farther apart. There are many people still incarcerated on drug-related offenses, while plenty of people are amassing huge amounts of wealth legally now, by selling cannabis. So I was wondering if you could start really kind of broad overview with how many people are currently incarcerated due to the criminalization of marijuana and the and Last Prisoner Project's kind of connection to helping them.
6: Yeah, so um, there are over 40,000 folks currently incarcerated uh, for cannabis crimes. Both at the state and federal level. Um, and that o- honestly is an underestimate of that number. Um, it doesn't really include those folks that are in local jails um, or those that are just arrested for a marijuana offense, which still can go on your record. And so that is a very large number of folks when you think about folks are freely celebrating and enjoying and profiting off this substance. And so we at Last Prisoner Project are a nonprofit organization that's really dedicated to this cannabis-related criminal justice reform, um, and our goal really is to release every last cannabis prisoner um, and help rebuild their lives. So it's really important for us uh, that we not only do the legal intervention to get these folks out, um, but also make sure that their record is cleared and then have all the support and services they need as they re-enter society.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those numbers are a lot, 40,000. <laughs> lot of people. But I was wondering if you could share some personal stories of people that uh, you're currently working to free. Are there some common themes? I mean, I can think of a very commonality. Maybe most (laughs) of them have. Uh, But yeah, you know, maybe or circumstances that are particularly surprising to people.
6: Yeah, I I think (laughs) as what you're alluding to, it's really important to call out that uh, this Cannabis criminalization has really impacted communities of color the most. Um, black Americans are uh, arrested at a rate of 3.7 times more than their fellow Americans. And you can see that reflected in, in the jail population. Um, we work with a, a lot of different individuals, and a lot of them come from similar backgrounds. And so, Uh, Some of the individuals we work with uh, are are currently uh, in in New Jersey, uh, is one of our big campaigns. Uh, We're running a New Jersey clemency campaign. Um, Humberto Ramirez uh, is a father uh, and a a husband, and um, I I think the family aspect is something that folks don't really account for all the time, that it's not just this individual that's being lost, but it's a father, it's a husband, it's an uncle, it's a a caregiver for their family. And so I think it's really important to remember that. Um, I think one of the other things I really would like to call out is that there's so many laws that really make this such a worse case for some folks. Um, one of the the most egregious cases we're working on is down in Louisiana, um, with the case of Kevin Allen. So he is someone who got knocked by the habitual offender laws. So had one or two previous marijuana crimes and now is sitting in prison for life without parole for only $20 worth of cannabis. And, and it's that terrible. is just crazy because folks buy more than that every single day in these legal states. And so um, those are just some of the stories that I think are really important to highlight.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think it's the New Jersey thing is, like you said, you were working on it because they're it's going to be legalized on which major fail four twenty one. <laughs> it's gonna be legal on 421 I'm sure nobody
3: in New Jersey will be partaking tomorrow not a a one (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys point out a lot of a lot of different types of stories and obviously not to sort of like moralize too much about use because it is recreational legal. But it is so striking how many people have stories of using who are veterans, who mm-hmm. in many states at like 37 now it is medically legal, who's in many states their doctor would has would say this will help you be in better health. And that could have tipped the scales for them yeah. to spending their life in, in prison. It's just so it's so stunning. It's so hard yeah. to believe.
6: One of our constituents, um, who's actually, thank gosh, out now, um, Sean Worsley, um, was a previous veteran and used his medical marijuana for for PTSD when he was actually arrested. And so he already had that, that justification, and yet still there are criminal injustice system really still criminalized him, even though he was using that for a medical reason.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you guys have even highlighted people who were caregivers for spouses who who've found relief through that. And you just mentioned there are intersections like even if you are not somebody that uses cannabis, or you don't are you still maybe are unsure about the laws like it, it hits every intersection of so many communities that are already marginalized can really, it can just be compounded. So we know that federal lawmakers are considering legislation on legalization. I mean, it feels like they have forever. The house has already most recently did pass a bill to this effect. I'm curious in you guys's view, what would a bill legalizing cannabis at the federal level need to include in order to repair some of this damage? Because we know it's not enough just to say, okay, you can all buy this now and we're going to raise a bunch of revenue to build sports stadiums. Like there's gotta be something else. We got to fix some of this harm.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, the, the MORE Act, the one that just passed, um, does do some efforts in terms of uh, resentencing and record expungement. Um, and I know uh, you might be familiar with uh, Senator Schumer's uh, Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act, which, which pushed to later this year. But I know a lot of folks are looking forward to that as well for some of these provisions. Um, but from our analysis so far, Neither of those or or none of the federal bills that we've seen so far go far enough in terms of these resentencing and record clearance provisions. Um, What we really need to see is that these incarcerated individuals are released in a very timely fashion, honestly expedited. Um, We need to make sure that these resentencing processes are automatic. So instead of having a petition based or putting all these uh, unnecessary eligibility, eligibility criteria in place. Um, We really need to make it open and a a swift process. Um, And I think it's really important for the federal government, especially, as well as the state governments, as they've been complicit in this, to invest as much time and energy into restoring the full freedoms of these folks as they've invested into criminalizing these folks. Um, And so I think, again, advancing legislation that facilitates automatic expungement of nonviolent cannabis charges... um, Provisions that alleviate the collateral consequences for federal offenses, um, that's really big because folks get denied licensure, they get denied federal benefits, they get denied all these different things after they've then come out of, of, of prison and serving the sentence, and they're continuing to be criminalized. And so um, I think we're really focused on supporting evidence-based reentry-focused legislation and programs, and um, we hope that uh, future bills will, will make the effort to do that.
1: Yeah, that's such an important point you bring up. Like, you know, if you get if you go to jail for for having weed, you can't get food stamps when you get out like stuff like that. You know, that's real things that are needed to reintegrate into society. Um, This one is really interesting to me but like by now some states are a few years into licensing programs that prioritize people who have been personally impacted by criminalization tell us what lessons we've learned from these programs and how other states who want to restore some justice can set up small business owners for success
6: Yeah. So there's been a lot of different ways that different states have have done these programs. But um, Last Prisoner Project uh, doesn't necessarily do a lot of analysis of these social equity programs. Um, While we are supportive of their efforts to ensure that individuals from communities that are disproportionately impacted by cannabis prohibition do have that equitable access to employment and entrepreneurial opportunities in these new regulated markets. Um, our work is really focused on that criminal justice reform part of cannabis policy. But um, if you are interested in learning more about that social equity issue, um, we definitely encourage folks to reach out and support nonprofits like Minority Cannabis Business Association um, and Minorities for Medical Marijuana. But I, I really would like to take this opportunity to kind of focus on that reentry piece as well. Um, so we really help a lot of these folks um as they're coming out and, and coming back into society uh, be supported. Um, so we offer uh, reentry grants uh, that provide financial support um, for necessary supplies, family support, even education. Um, that's not just for those individuals coming out, but it's also for their whole families. Um, we also have just started our, our new reentry partnerships program, which really connects a lot of these folks to those businesses. Um, so even if it's not maybe a license, um, what the work we're doing right now is trying to connect those folks to jobs, so they can get that initial experience in, in the industry. Um, and so I think it's just really important for us to to remember that reentry services are, are a very necessary uh, and critically needed part of, of folks if they want to be able to to. Re-enter society in a a successful way and especially if they want to enter the cannabis space.
3: Yeah, it's so powerful that like even if you are Successful in freeing every the the last prisoner There's still plenty of work to do because of just the consequences Like Millie said of going to jail one time of going to prison one time has a ripple effect on you and every part of your life and your family
1: Yeah, and you know some, some, I know New York State uh, has just like passed something where it's like you can get a license if you or your family and I know we talked earlier about families and just it really does impact obviously it's like the, ter- the caregivers taken away and all of that but typically like a lot of these prisons are out of they're in rural areas they're in other parts and like I know when my brother was in prison for marijuana like our family would have to pack up the car drive five hours to see you know and, and we're privileged enough that that didn't like harm our our finances to do that but a lot of people don't have that privilege you know and mm-hmm. yeah when they get out it's like the same clothes you're, you're kind of left in the middle of nowhere so it's like it's one really cool that the licensing is happening in that way but another thing it's like it's really important about this these reintegration grants that's so awesome because it is an important part of getting someone back into and, and, and sometimes these licenses are like the only way that people are able to get jobs, especially mm-hmm. if they they haven't done the expungement and stuff that y'all are working so hard to get. So yeah, I think yeah. that's really awesome. Do you know that you're awesome, Steven?
6: <laughs> I, it's not just me doing this work; we got a whole. We team. stand,
3: Steven. We stand, Steven. We stand, I- Steven. <laughs> Uh, I am very curious how you personally got invested or involved in this work and then to continue from that how can you know i as a enthusiastic cannabis consumer feel very responsible to be part of the solution but I'm sure our listeners who don't partake do as well so also just tell us more about what donations like go to and how else people can get involved
6: yeah I, I got involved at Lpp as this is something that's been my passion for a while um really I grew- an uh, urban high school and in a neighborhood and um, saw these disparities firsthand. Um, But it wasn't really until uh, college and and my research that I was able to really focus on uh, cannabis and criminal justice reform, which I had very great opportunities along the way. And I'm just very grateful to be able to work here at Last Prisoner Project. Um, And I would love to, to share ways that folks can get involved because there's so many necessary actions and support that is needed. Um, today on, on 420, we're, we're running our 424 justice program, and we have a whole website uh, that I can share and, and link to. And um, one of the big things we're really trying to focus on is our constituents. Um, it's really hard for them, I think, to see all these folks celebrating and all these companies making money on the that put them in prison and so one of the big things we're trying to do is we have a letter writing campaign so folks can go online to our website, write a letter, even become a a consistent pen pal with some of these folks in prison and those letters of hope and messages um, are really strong for them and and we've seen that those are helpful for them to, to get through that experience. Um, some of the other ways is, is really some of the direct actions we have. Um, so for Kevin Allen, we have a whole whole page that's really focused on getting folks to call, email, and send messages to the DA down in Louisiana and, and let him free because there are mechanisms in the law that allow us to do that. And so making sure that we're not waiting for someone to do that mm-hmm. is, is important to us. And, and putting pressure on those folks that have the ability and power to make these changes is really important. Um, Yeah, and and there's so many other actions uh, Mm -hmm. possible as part of our 420 launch campaign, but also um, we also have a a take action page that has all of these that can be be housed throughout the whole entire year. And and we're hopeful that support won't just happen around 420, but that folks can um, give and give their time um, throughout the whole entire year
1: yes 420 isn't just a special holiday we gotta be celebrating it every day and you just gave me i had like this idea of like oh what if i get everyone together and we do like a letter writing campaign and then i'm like and then we all smoke weed i'm like oh my god these poor prisoners getting all these high letters like Oh, boy. Well, we are, we are going to put a fundraiser on our feed. We're going to ask people to, you know,
3: whatever you paid to partake that day, match it because it's mm-hmm. probably, it, it varies quite a bit. It seems like the national average might be like 40 to 50 bucks, but I, I calculate it. If, if just 500 people donate $20, we can raise $10,000. Mm-hmm. And I assume, I think we can do, you know, even more. So I'm so excited to hype all of this up tomorrow. Thank you so much, Stephen. This was so incredibly Thank informative. You. And we will definitely uh, want to have you back to stay updated on, you know, if any of these actions change and, and where we should be putting our emphasis.
6: Absolutely. Thank you again for having us. And uh, as always, uh, we hope folks are able to support the Last Prisoner Project and uh, appreciate you for having us on and sharing our message.
3: Thanks, Stephen. Thanks. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Caitlin Bird, And this is the Betcha So Podcast. Bye.